Good morning, church. <clears throat> All right, I think uh, before we go into it, why don't we pray? Yeah, let's pray that, pray that God will speak, minister. <clears throat> and many times, you know, when, when the people we're interviewing, interviewing, you know, they dig up the past as well. And, you know, a lot of things can come. So we want to pray that God just protect, guard, you know, heal and, and be a great testimony that people can, you know, hear, listen, lives changed. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord. Father, as we gather here, it's all about you, Lord. Your heart for us, Lord. Your heart for everyone sitting here, Father. You know where we are at, Lord. You know what we need, Father. And today we pray, Lord, that you just speak. You just minister by your spirit, Lord. Touch lives, I pray, Father. Lord, and the person, Lord, giving the interview, Father. I pray, Lord, you just, Lord, Put a protection around him, uh, around him, Father, and Lord, just heal. I pray, Lord, Lord, and whatever they 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 share, I pray, let it, Lord, glorify Your name, Father. We pray, and let it just minister into people's life, Lord. Give You all the glory, Lord, in Jesus' name. We pray and ask, Lord, Amen, Amen. But this morning we got a special guest. <clears throat> How many of you know who's coming up here? Oh, some of you already know. So someone let the cat out of the bag, did they? <laughs> you know, I work in um, drug and alcohol. Like the many years that I've been working, I've been working in drug and alcohol and um, substance use. We call it substance use. And you know, whether it's um, alcohol, whether it's ice, whether it's cannabis, whether it's heroin, opioid, everything you can name, I've come across. And I deal with patients. In, it's with New South Wales Health. And the one thing that we who work there, who always look for, is um, people who come to us, and after they get the treatment, they just stop using completely. We just so long to just hear if one person who comes to us, and you know the joy that wells up in our chest inside of us saying, yes, the person came, we looked after that person, and the person no longer you know, never went back to it, and now living a happy life, that joy, nothing can replace that. We find so many of them go back, relapse, and they fall again, they fall again, they go back to it, they go back to it, and they go back to it, and it, and it is sad. So sad. But today you're going to hear a testimony where God delivered, and that person never went back the drugs that that person was using and and you know so let's put our hands together to pastor louis <laughs> as he comes yeah. all right so i assume everybody knows pastor louis for those who don't know do you want to just introduce yourself and uh i think there's some new faces here so that well my name's uh louis um i was born in in Cyprus and I came to Australia when I was four years old with my mum and dad. Well, my dad came first and then my mum and so the first thing they did was buy a fish and chip shop like all good Greeks should do, right? Like every Greek should have a fish and chip shop. So yeah, and then um, I um, was brought up in the inner west, Dulwich Hill, Marrickville, went to Dulwich High which was raided the worst school in the state the year I started. So that was like, awesome. but you know, all worked out well, I think at the end. 
Um, so I was a, uh, my parents were Greek Orthodox. I was a Greek Orthodox. So we go to church at Easter and Christmas. So religiously, but any other part of the year, it doesn't matter. It's just, you know, just live your life. But Greeks are great at Easter and, and Christmas. And the rest is, you know, just living life. But, uh, yeah, so I was brought up a Greek Orthodox, got kicked out of school at year 12, halfway through year 12, at, on our trial examination, HSC, because some of us decided they wanted to beat the system. So we broke into the school, stole the exam, because back then the school would set the exam. And uh, if you went well in your, in your trial HSC, uh, and you didn't go that well in your, in your HC, they would give you an aggregate, they will give you an average because they would think, oh, you know, nerves got the better of them. So we thought if we steal the exam, uh, then we'd be okay, do the trial, and then if you messed up at the HSC, they yeah. get But the problem was that some of us did too well. So, like, for instance, Pastor Louie used to average about 43% in his geography throughout the year, and HSC, I got 89%. It's pretty impressive, I thought. Even though I copied most of the exams and put them in on my folder and slid them out when I was doing the test, but the school knew that some of us had some, you know, somebody had stolen them, and they just looked through the <laughs> results, and they went one, two, three, four, five, six, eight of us lined us up and said, you know, we believe you guys have stolen the exam, and uh, we we believe that you, you know, you, and we denied it, and so they brought all our parents up, but lucky for me, my parents were overseas, and my sister had the, well, I thought I was, I thought it was a good thing, because my sister had uh, come up to the office instead of my parents, but it was worse for me, because they wanted us to sit for the exam again, and I was, we, we were saying no, because those grades were awesome, because some of us got 89, 90% for maths and all this stuff that we've been averaging 10, 20% for the year. So we didn't want to do it again, because, you know, that's it, set. But my sister was adamant, Louie, teach him, show him. Because, <laughs> you know, I'm living a lie, right? I'm lying to everyone, and my sister doesn't think I'm lying, because it's impossible for her little brother to lie, right? And so she says, come on, Lou, you show them. Do it again. And they're going to give me the same exam. That's what they said. They were going to give me the same exam. So I thought, how could I go wrong? I mean, even though I cheated, right, I still did the work. If you know what I mean. Like, I still had to cheat. I still had to write the essay out. I still had to put it in order. And so I thought to myself, you know what? Okay, let's do it again. So anyway, we did it again. And I ended up getting 38%. <laughs> and then they, they, kicked, they kicked us out of school. And uh, I mean, look, the, the only reason <coughs> we stayed at school was because, I mean, we wanted to live at year 10, but our industrial arts teacher was selling us marijuana, which was the best marijuana I've ever smoked in my life. It's come from a teacher. And we were already, we were already smoking, Dave, from year, year seven. And so for you to be able to get marijuana from your teacher, 
you were thinking, well, you know what? Let's just stay at school for another two years. Who cares? You know, like just wing it. And then when the exam comes, we'll wing it. But then we couldn't wing it anymore. But that's that's what happened. See, so um, that's why it was the worst school in the state. No, I get it. You started now where you said you're going to start a dope. Well, you bought dope from your teacher. So what, what, how old were you when you first started? <coughs> um, yeah, 13. 13, year 7. But I think, you know, like in year 7, back in the 70s, you know, everybody was, well, not everybody, but, you know, dope was the big thing. And your mates were doing it. So to be with your mates and, you know, like some of these young people understand it, like, you know, if you've got a group of friends and you're hanging around with a group of friends, it takes a big man to say no to when your friends are smoking it, right? And I think I probably should have, but, you know, sometimes you don't. No, you've got to just be careful who you hang around with. But I, I just started, you know, in year seven smoking dope for... And it was kind of fun, you know, like when you... It seemed like it was fun, like at the time, and it was fun. You know, you were having funny times and that, but <clears throat> I think as, as the years went on, it becomes just becomes part of you it does it becomes the norm for us the norm in life for us in year eight year nine year 10 11 and 12 was we had to be stoned because being not stoned it was just it was it was different it was just strange this is what happens with addictions right because you, you, it becomes strange for you to be like sober if you're a drunk for instance it's the same thing when you're not drunk, then there's something wrong. You feel like there's something wrong. And that's just what happened to us. Well, by the time we got to year 10, we had to get stoned every day. And then, then you know, hence why we stayed at year 11 and 12, because we were getting gear from, from the teacher. Uh, I should name him while we're on video so I can go and bust him. <laughs> you know, but, yeah, so, yeah, yeah that's... Going back to your first encounter... <clears throat> Now we um, come back and um, how did you do the first one, the first time that you started using that? Oh, look, the, with the with the dope, it was, it was just I don't know. Like somebody said, they had had a joint. I'd never tried it before. My friend had tried it before, and um, you know they just influenced me, saying, "Oh, look, nothing happens. It's okay. You know, you're just going to get a few laughs here and there," and so. You know, we just started smoking this joint and then, you know, but the thing is with some people, like I think for me, I think I have a little bit of an addictive personality. So I think you don't realise what's going to happen to you when you do it, right? So when I did it, it was fun and we were all mucking around and it was, it was fun. We were laughing away and everything was seemed to be fun. But, but, you know, that not knowing if I knew what I knew now, Back then, I probably, you know, wouldn't have done it, but, you know, it's, that's life. Now, where, where I work, you know, majority, 100% of those who come, and when we speak to them, they say that it's the friends who started it. It's the friends who started it. So what would you say to parents here who have kids um, in terms of what do they need to be looking out for? Oh, uh, look, I, like my parents had no idea. But I think it's the people you hang around with, right? You just, and, and 
there's just like I started to withdraw uh, quickly when I was, you know, smoking and that, and and uh, you, you know, being a bubbly kid and all that, and then all of a sudden being, I, I wouldn't speak much. You know, I think what happens is that the, the dope gets a hold of you, and when you are not, when you're at home and you're not stoned. There comes a, like a bit of like a depression on you, like because your mind's now no longer, you know, stoned. So it's you feel like there's something missing, and so you start to regress into yourself, and you're not that same guy anymore. It just feels like your personality changes. And I think you know, as parents, you just got to watch out for when your kid's personality starts to change. And who they hang out with as well. Who they hang out yeah. with as well, and this is why it's important. Like you know. You know, pick the right school. I would pick the right school. I think my parents picked the wrong school, right? They could have sent me somewhere else, but you know, they just off the boat. So, in a, in a nice sense, not in a bad way. <laughs> they did. They, they were. They came from from Cyprus. They didn't know the culture. Didn't understand what was going on. Didn't even understand why they sent me to Dulwich High. I mean, they told me I was. You know, they didn't even look at my grades, and, and they said I was going to become a doctor. I know. There you go. <laughs> That's what they said. That's what they had planned for me. And I'm thinking, like, you know, I'm getting 32% for, you know, maths and maths. Oh, they didn't catch you. You were on the way there, there, wouldn't you? Huh? To become a doctor. Yeah. Mm. All right. Getting into just a bit more in, into that one there. What other drugs did you use apart from cannabis? <clears throat> oh, so, from cannabis, we started having, at school, we started using acid, which is LSD. They used to call it LSD. It's like a little tablet that you used to drop and for about eight or nine hours you would hallucinate and start seeing walls melt and all this kind of stuff. And then from there, um, once we left school, we, we started into speed, which is, I'm not sure what it's called now, but because one's a downer, right? Like, you know, with dope, you're stoned and you're like, you know, you'll sit there and just look at people and say nothing. And so when we wanted to go out, we needed an upper. Something's going to go, oh, yeah, come on, man, let's go. And so speed, speed would do that. So, because you couldn't go out when you were stoned because you were on day because you're too paranoid about everybody. Why, why is he looking at me? That cop, he's looking at me. Undercover cop, let's go, bolt. So, you know, you would be paranoid because that's what dope does. It makes you paranoid, right? But then we'd get into speed because speed would lift you up and you'd be able to go out and, and talk to people and have a good time. And then from there, I think by that time, I was in, you know, left school because my, I'd already been in that place where, you know, you're constantly stoned. That's your norm. And it didn't matter what uh, I took and what I would use, I would have to be stoned. You know, I remember stealing my mum's Serapax, which is a pain-killing drug, but it kind of numbs you out. And so when I wasn't, had, didn't have dope and wasn't using speed, then I would get whatever I had, pills. And then towards the end, we started shooting up. Well, first we had heroin, which was on top of your, your marijuana. So we, every time you had a bong, you'd put, sprinkle a little bit of heroin on top and then you'd smoke it that way. And then towards the end, when I was about from 25 to about 27, we were shooting up heroin and speed because of the 
you know, you, it's just so fast, you know, it just was in your body so quickly, so. So you're really deep into it. <coughs> Shooting up is basically injecting on a daily basis. Yeah, towards the end, it was, it was a, taken hold of me, I just, What effect did it have on, on relationship, on, on work, on, on your life? Um, sorry, I don't get emotional here. Um, I think, like, you know, with, with my parents and at home, you know, you just, being Greek parents, they just couldn't understand, like, why I needed to be like that. And then the out. The, the fallout of me wanting to have the drugs and needing money to buy the drugs. You know, I'd steal off my mum, I'd steal her gold rings and go and hock them and to get money to buy the drugs and then, you know, they would really be like, couldn't believe it. Once I broke into my sister's house to steal what she had and I, and they didn't know who it was, and I said, oh, maybe somebody broke in, you know, I blame somebody else. But all these kind of things, they just destroy re your relationship with your, with your parents because you're so driven by being stoned. That's all, you, that's all you think about. Any drago, even to this day, when he's addicted, all he's thinking about is, where's my next hit? Where's my next fix? What am I going to do? How am I going to get it? Where's my money? Who's got gear? You know, I would be on the phone for hours and hours and hours trying to find out who's got gear because you're just driven by this addiction within you to become, to, to not face the reality of what's happening around you. I don't want to be straight. There's something wrong and there's too much pressure coming on me because your parents want you to give up. All these people want you to give up. But all you're thinking about is, I, I want to get away from what they're saying. And the only way to get away is get stoned. So, the, you know, I did so many things wrong with my, with my relatives and my brothers and my sisters. And, um, uh, you know, it just destroyed the relationship at the mm. time. And then you meet Jesus. Well, I didn't really meet Jesus at that time. Because <laughs> what happened was, I know most people don't know this. Some do, some don't. But... My relationship, I met a girl who was also into the drugs as much as I was and then we, we started out a relationship and this is what happens when you, when you are not in your right mind, you do make some crazy decisions. So we just were stoned off our heads one day and we decided to get married. Like you do, right? Like, like who does that? And so anyway, so we went off to the... Um, I was going to say motor registry, but some kind of registry. And then we got married and I came back and my parents, <laughs> they just couldn't believe. I just rocked up and said, we're married. And uh, they just, they just couldn't believe it. But that's because you're not in your right mind and you make decisions that are crazy and, and um, so we moved out of home and we just, we um, rented a place in Dulwich Hill and uh, we started um, just, just out of it all the time. And, you know, I OD'd once as well and they thought I was like I'd, I'd gone into some kind of coma and they couldn't wake me up. So 
had, took me to hospital, and then I luckily I took a 12 hours or so to, to wake me up. So, and then um, that's when oh, I think um, I think after that, where where the doc said I overdosed, that's when I started to realise I had to get I had to find help. I had to get I had to find some kind of help, but it was difficult because. That the addiction by then stay hold of you. That you, you, you. The only time I, I felt like I could give it up is when I was stoned. But of course, <laughs> you've got to do it when you're straight, right? When you're not stoned. But then when I'm not stoned, I'm, I'm, th- I'm thinking of getting um, high. Mm-hmm. So. All right. So and then after that, you. Yeah. So what happened was because. Um, I was looking in in a sense, I was looking for a way out because I'd had it with, with my life. And I was working at a place, and this is how important it is for us, for those who do know Jesus, to share the gospel, especially at workplace and that. So I went, we, I was working as a supervisor at Toyota uh, in, the, in the warehouse, dispatch supervisor, and this guy started work there. He was a born-again Christian, and he was... Um, you know, kind of sharing with to, with me about Jesus, and uh, I remember one day because I was interested, right? Because the way he explained Jesus, because I'm Greek, so you know, Jesus is Greek, so I know him the best. But anyway, but he 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 was talking to me about a Jesus that was different, a Jesus that he knew, a Jesus that was there for me, for him, and he's the way he explained the gospel was really unique. I mean, I mean, we do it. But I'd never heard it before then. But he was, he was sharing about a Jesus that had this amazing, you know, like it was like he was his best friend. He was sitting right next to him, and how, because I, I knew he knew a bit about my life. I told him about you know my drug addiction and what was going on, and he was telling me Jesus can help you, da 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 da. But being Greek, my parents would always say, and we never ever go to these cults. They call them cults, right? Because, because. Greek Orthodox is the number one religion. Like that's, you know, because Jesus was Greek, because my mum thought Jesus was Greek because she told me he was Greek, but he's Jewish for those that don't know, right? <laughs> um, and so he would ask me and invite me to his church, but I wouldn't go because there's that thing in the background not knowing. But anyway, what, what he did was he, I, I st- he started giving me scriptures to read. And so we had like I think Joey last week said he had this gold Bible we used to have this Bible as well at home right and it was a big thick one and I would look up some scriptures and but I wouldn't commit wouldn't go to his church or anything like that because I wasn't sure but one day the boldness of this guy I was we had to um, get the delivery run ready I'm standing in the back and his name was Richard and he said to me he goes he says Louis let me pray for you and I said, I, think, I said yes, because I'm thinking he's going to go home and pray. But he goes, and then all of a sudden, he just jumped on me, man, put his hands on me, right? And he started praying. And I'm freaking out because, man, people are going to see this guy's got his hands on me and he's praying in the name of Jesus. And as he was praying, I know what it was. I, don't, I know what it was now, but I didn't know what it was then. The presence of God came upon me. My eyes began to hurt. Right? I don't know why, but my eyes 
started to feel foggy or something. I don't know what was going on. Anyway, he prayed this prayer and I walked off thinking, like, what was that? Now, what was that? I think, you know, God must have known what was going on. Was going on. Anyway, so he, he um, <clears throat> I wouldn't, still wouldn't commit to what he said, but I did start reading the Bible then. But what happened was he left where I was working. And I was a bit disappointed because I think deep down, I felt like, you know what, maybe this is, this is my way out. This is, if God is real, if Jesus that he's explained to me is real, this could be my way out. And I didn't take it. And what happened was I got so, like, disappointed. I just got more out of it. Just solid, like, it's, it's when happens when people start to know the truth about Jesus and they don't take it. It seems like you get worse. It seems like, you know, there's the truth. I, re- I reject the truth and just something within you starts to feel worse. And I got, I got so more into every possible thing, the heroin, everything. I remember one night, um, one morning, I'm, like, it was at night, sorry. I'm in the front veranda, that went, moved back to my mum and dad's place. And I was so stoned off my head, I started to cry. I started to cry, and and I yelled out, God, if you're real, and this Jesus that this man was telling me about is the truth, and he is who he said he is, can you send another Christian to where I work so I know that this is the truth, that you're real? And I'm, this is where, you know, never underestimate what God can do regardless of your state. Because, you know what I mean? God hears my cry from my heart regardless of the fact that I'm completely off my scone. He heard my cry and then two weeks later, I don't know if Joe's here this morning, here he is, Joe Gennardo over there on the left, two weeks later he starts um, at work as a delivery driver and one of my jobs was to take the delivery driver around the, the route to show him all the Toyota dealerships. And I started getting to know Joe. I said, oh, what do you do? And he said, and I, he, I said, what do you do for hobbies? We started talking. And he goes, oh, I go to church. I'm a born-again Christian. And I'll tell you, when he said that to me, I just knew. I just knew. I just knew that God had heard that prayer because there was no one else heard that prayer. No one else knew what I'd prayed and that he answered my, my prayer in a God's hand was on Joe's life and he because that's what God does right he guides and leads and moves people around to bring across your path because he loves you and he wants to seek and save the lost so he did it for Marley he did it they did it for Sire he does it for everyone he just puts people in place positions people out because he's seeking you and that's what he did for me and then when, I think I must have been the easiest convert for Joe because I said to him he goes I go where do you go to church he says oh Peter Shemaog and they met at a school hall. And then I said, I'm coming to church. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, uh, and let me tell you what, when I walked into that place on that Sunday morning, I'm a Greek Orthodox, right? We don't stand. We don't, we do this. Get your lesson, get your lesson. We hear singing and that's, you know, guys chanting. We don't have this kind of interaction that you guys have had this morning but when i walked into that church in the morning at a school hall 
<clears throat> with no pictures, no crucifixes, no nothing. It was a bit foreign to me. But what happened was I sensed the same thing that I sensed when that guy laid his hands on me. I sensed the same thing in the meeting because my eyes started to hurt. And, and I just, like this morning, what we had this morning, what we had this morning, right, right here this morning through praise and worship, it's exactly what it was like. It's exactly what it was like on that Sunday morning. And um, we stood at the back and um, the, the, the guy um, asked if anybody would like to give their lives to Jesus this morning. And um, I put my hand up and uh, went up the front. And uh, when I walked up the front, I was asking God for, to forgive me for all the... Because I've been through so much rubbish in my life. I've done so much wrong to so many people. So I'm asking God to forgive me as he comes to the front. And the guy had come along and he put his hand on my head, laid, laid his hand on me, and he was praying. And when he was praying... I felt like a jolt of electricity come through my body. And at the time, I thought he might have had something in his hand. Because, you know, I'm still a little bit sus here. That I thought he might have had, back in the 70s, we used to have these little things you used to put in your hand. And when you shook somebody's hand, they give him electric shock. So I actually thought he might have had one of those things in his hand. Because I could feel all this power and this electricity coming from my body. And so I opened one eye and looked at his hand. And there was nothing there. And, like, I don't even think the guy that was praying actually knew what was going on. But I think because God knew my heart and knew that I just wanted to be set free, I really wanted to be a different person. And that's when I gave my life to the Lord, 1987. 1987. And then what happened after that? Well, <clears throat> I walked out of that place. I mean, I could not get the smile off my doll because I just realized that I'd just given my life to Christ and that Jesus was real, that he'd forgiven me, and the presence of God, this joy that I, that I had, what it reminded me of, like, before I was into the drugs, and most of us have this moment where, you know, up until you 10, 11, somewhere around there, you no care in the world. Just had this joy of being a kid, got on your bike, rode down to the place, came back, went out, went here. You just had this innocent joy, right? I felt that. I felt that when I walked out. I felt as if I was 10. I felt like there was just this thing had been removed from my life. I felt that this addictive thing that was the drugs and that, I felt like it, I'd been released. I felt like it'd be gone, it, it had gone out of my life. And I just, I just knew it. I just sensed it. I thought, man, I'm just a different person. And so, you know, I, I, mean, I was hot. You know, it was on the, the, the Sunday morning. I was on a high. You know, then Monday came and Tuesday and I was still on a high for at least a couple of weeks because of what happened. But then, you know, it started to, you know, it always starts to wane and you've got to live by faith and not by feelings. So all well, that kind of stuff happened. I started getting a little bit, um, I did start to get some cravings for, for um, you know, the, the dope and I didn't want to go back in it. I didn't want to. And I, and I asked the Lord if he'd give me some kind of strategy to, to help me overcome that. And he did, which was amazing. And the Lord said to me, I felt it like a, almost like a voice saying, every time I felt the urge to take dope or take whatever drugs it was, 
was to read his word. And he said that when you read the word, it'll, it'll ease that. It'll take away that, those desires. Because, you know, the Bible says, I, I didn't know what it was back then, but you know what the Bible says the word of God's like, right? It's sharper than a double-edged sword. It's bread to your body. It's nourishment. It's, it's everything that you need is in that word. It's a seed, right? Because the Bible says the word of God is an incorruptible seed. It's the seed that when I first heard the gospel, when you and I heard the gospel, it's the seed of God and it comes and germinates within your heart, right? You've got to feed that. You've got to feed that word and you've got to apply that word and it starts to manifest, it starts to grow and it starts to be so powerful within you. And, he, and the Lord said to me, he says, whenever I felt like having that kind of addiction, get into the word. And what I used to do is to write, I used to write slabs of scripture. Like I used to just write it down. I used to get it off the Bible and I had a little exercise book and I used to just, for some unknown reason, it was great for me because it almost made me meditate on the word because I would write the scripture down next page next day whenever i felt like i'd write the scripture again i'd find another one for god so loved the world that he gave his only son i write that and then in his name in the son his life and if he has a son has life and i used to write all that down and all of a sudden i would be like hours and then all of a sudden oh i haven't even uh, had a craving i haven't the cravings are gone and then within weeks months completely set free Amen. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Amen. Praise God. After that, you had the relationship with God. You carried on with God. And, and that was the last time you touched that dope? Yeah, last time. And um, that's, you know, it was it was good time, but it was bad time because, I mean, you know, you got to remember, I'm married as well, right? And so I brought my... I brought my wife to the service, the same service that I was in. Um, and this is the difference between whether or not your heart's right. It's all about your heart. And so when we came, I came but to the Lord, but she didn't. And so she was still coming because, I, you know, somewhere deep down there, I think she, I don't know if we are in love or, you know, hard to say, but I think she just kept coming. And then eventually... She, she went through the process of becoming a Christian, went to Christian's class, and that's so all I thought, wow, you know, we both got saved. But because her heart wasn't right, she started to not want this life because I was radically saved, right? She wasn't. She just, yeah, and I'll come because Louie comes. The foundations we talked about a few weeks ago, the foundation wasn't right. But I've just fully surrendered, fully surrendered. Jesus, you are real. I'll give you my life, whatever you want. I'm in work, home, everything. I'm in, full on, I, whatever you want. You have delivered me from this drugs. He who is forgiven little, loves little. He who's been forgiven much, loves much. I've been forgiven for a heap of rubbish. And so I'm just in love with Jesus. But she wasn't. She, you know... Oh, I don't know, yes and no. And then um, I think within six months, we were living together and then she, I heard a motorbike pull up outside and she went upstairs and, and she came up and she goes, oh, look, I've been having an affair with a guy for the last six months. I'm going. And so we'd been married for like seven years or six years, somewhere like that. And, and you know, that was kind of devastating to me. But 
I just thought I knew that the Lord had, you know, just had his hand on my life and, you know, uh, she didn't want the Lord, so she wanted her, her lifestyle because I think the thing is that she, what she freaked out about is that what the devil was able to do is to make, oh, well, you know what, you, there's no more clubbing, there's no more drugs, there's no more this, there's no more that, there's no more this. So he, he, he tells you that there's no fun anymore. And so that's what deceived her. But, you know, that's a lie. In the presence of God, there's fullness of joy and peace. It's amazing what God can do in your life. That the world, that throws all the things that the world throws at you, all counterfeit. And so she chose the counterfeit, and I wasn't going to go that way. And she, you know, had an affair with another guy, and, and off, she, off she went. And so it's life. Mm. Last question due to time. To the year seven, Louis, what would you go back and say now, knowing what you know? Oh, I think I'd slap him. <laughs> I think I'd slap him. I think I'd slap him in the face and say, wake up. No, I, I, you know, I, I think if, if I... I don't know if I'd listen, even if it was me. You know? Mm. And sometimes, I hate saying it, but sometimes, you, you, you know, I probably would have had to go through that thing but I think that if I was 13 I would have liked somebody that knows Jesus the right way and knows the power of God and knows the gospel and the word of God in its entirety I'd like that person to come and say to me listen there's another way God exists God is what I heard at 27 I would have loved to hear at 13 and this is why you know youth kids church what we're putting into these kids now and I know people say well you're great testimony Louie but you know I've been brought up a Christian and I haven't had that kind of testimony that's another lie the best testimony you could ever possibly have that Jesus has touched my life at a young age and he I did not need to go into those drugs I didn't have to have all this stuff because Jesus was my awe and he that is the most powerful testimony i'm telling you if i had to do it again and you said louis would you like to choose the life that you had or being brought up a christian and not going into any of these kind of stuff i'd say mate give me that because i almost died i could have died and 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 gone to a lost eternity at some stage and yet you know god's grace and his kindness on me but you know if i, if I back then i would ask you know, somebody to come along and go, hey, Louie, grab a hold of me and say, you're going down a path that's not right, but give me the tools to help me out of that path, help me out of where I'm going, because, you know, if, if Christianity is right and Christianity is real, then God has the power to keep people from going down that path. He has the power to deliver me. He has the power to, to keep you from it. And I think people always ask me, well, how come, you know, I, I've had friends that have come to Christianity and not been delivered like I was. But I think the key is, is your desperation. Like how desperate did I want? I was so desperate to get off the drugs. I, I was completely ready, you know, and I, and I think, you know, when people come, if you're desperate for a touch of God, if you're desperate for the power of God, He will. God wants to deliver you. There's no way you cannot say to me that God wants to keep you in that drug-infested kind of life. There's no way. 
Our God wants to deliver you. Our God wants to set you free. That's what He came and do. Came to set the captives free. And so, if you want it, it's yours. What happens is people are like yeah, they have that thing about what the devil deceives you and says, "Well, you know what? I just want to keep a little bit of this because it's a bit of fun. It's not fun. It destroys your life. It kills your life. It almost destroyed." and almost destroyed and killed my relationship with absolutely everybody that was around me. But God, the great restorer, has restored me, restored my you know, relationship with family and, and now my kids and wife. And, and I'm blessed, man. I've got grandkids now and, and it's like you know, some no-hoper drug addict that God can take, change the whole thing around. We've heard testimonies throughout this whole month about God has done that and God does it to everyone where he just wants to take, restore and bless. Thank you, Pastor Louis. Why don't we give him a hand this morning?